Good Tuesday evening. Welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed. Here with my brothers and sisters, and we are getting ready to have a really nice discussion. And um, we will be back with you and after this message from Yah. Have you ever wondered, is there more to the Word of God than just words on the page? Join us for an in-depth journey into the truth of God by means of open, Socratic conversation. In Proverbs chapter 2, the Word of God says, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Hidden Treasures Revealed. Well, we are here this evening with my brothers and sisters here. We've got Phil here. We've got Anna Ruth and Josh and Yah and myself and just another opportunity to talk about the truth of God in an open Socratic fashion. And uh, got something to share with everybody here, just a lesson learning and learned and learning today about what we're doing and just walking in faith that, and this is something we've touched on. We haven't necessarily had a separate podcast just to talk about this, but this is huge in faith, which really is what faith is, is trust. And um, I'd ask Mother today if she, you know, would reveal what she wanted us to talk about and and just started thinking about some things and had a couple of things on my mind. And um, one that was like, wow, that's something we could really talk about. And we could talk about this. And we could talk about this. And and nothing really just kind of in the in previous one kind of, you know, sunk in. This is what we're going to talk about. And just had through my mind several times today, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. And I was just like, you know what, mother, I know you'll make it clear. I'm just going to, something comes to mind, I'll roll it and, you know, you'll make it clear. Well, normally we would have what our topic is pretty soon. And this time didn't even have it until we were just in here about 10 minutes before we start. And what it's teaching me is, is what Yeshua said is that, you know, don't worry about what you're going to say. And he didn't say, don't think about what you're going to say. Like, don't evaluate, don't discern and roll things. But don't worry about it. Like, don't, you know, well, I just don't know what we're going to talk about, where we're going to go. And no, it'll be made clear. You'll be given what you need when you talk about it. And that's where we are this evening. And it's just a, I'm grateful to y'all for just another aspect of learning because it could, I could be going somewhere just out and about and they'll say, go to this person and, and say something or, you know, share this with somebody, send a text or whatever. And I'm not, wasn't even thinking about any of that stuff and all of a sudden do this or do that and just be prepared. And it does take trust. It does take a confidence knowing that Yah will give you what you need. And the only way to learn that is you have to go through the practice of being in situations where you don't know because trust is about not knowing and you have to be confident in the person that you're putting your trust in. And it's just, just a big help for me just to realize that, you know, Yah is in control of this. It's not, I'm not in control of this. Phil's not in control. Josh and Ruth aren't. It's we, because we have a desire for it. We want what Yah wants. We want it because we want it. We want the truth. And 
with what we're doing with this podcast, it, it really, for those that have been listening consistently, and there are people I'm, I'm sure that will listen in from time to time, you may look at the topics and decide you want to listen or not. But if you really want this and you're really set on it, it's going to take work and you're going to have to be willing to go through pain and change. And because that's what this faith journey is about, it, it's about you having faith, which is you have to do your part. It isn't, Yah doesn't sit there and do everything for you. And that's, you know, something we'll, I'm sure, get into either today or in the future. But Yah does not do the work for you. Yah gives you everything you need to do the work, but they do not do the work for you. Messiah was the example. He did the work of God, which we're told they even asked him, you know, what must, you know, Messiah, what must we do to do the works that God requires. And he said, this is the work of God to believe in the one in whom he has sent. Not out of being justified by your own works, but by you believe in my son. And when you believe in him, you will walk as he did. You will do the things that he did because he's the example. And he's the example for men and women to follow, not what you think it is, but what the word of God says about it. So getting in that tonight, I just just came upon me to just share that, that if you're really listening into this consistently, that it's really going to take a full commitment and it's going to take struggle. It's going to take you doing something that you've never experienced before, having people that, you know, think that are with you that will turn against you and people that you think are on your side, you know, turn. And, but the focus is, is that, you know, you're doing this because you really want to do it. And those that seek God with all their heart will find this. And, <clears throat> but it is work that you must put in. This isn't an easy road. If you want the easy road, this isn't the easy road. Now, as you go further in faith that there is ease in it because you change your thinking to line up with godly thinking, then therefore it does become easier. But there isn't a magic, as we've said before, a staples easy button that you just press and then everything is just done. No. Um, it, it's, it's work. And, um, so we'll just bringing that out and we're going to be continuing conversation in regards to covenant, which here recently we were talking about the, the old covenant and the new covenant and that a covenant is a contract is an agreement that both sides, one side is Yah, the other side is the person that each side has things that they are committed to doing. And in order for a covenant to be in force and full, both sides have to be committed to doing their part, that we know that Yah is committed to doing their part and they will not fail their part. But it's up to us that if we make that commitment, that it's in, it's in our hands that we do our part and then therefore there's a covenant agreement because you have to have two people to have an agreement in this. So, you know, Yah puts out what the terms are and do you agree to this or not? You know, are you willing to give everything for this? And because if you do what the covenant says to do, you'll get the promises of whatever covenant that is. And we know that from the word of God, that all the promises of God in Messiah are yes and amen. So make sure you find your place to be in Messiah. So all the promises of God are fulfilled and you're a part of that. So something that we, this is something that was actually given to me years ago when we had first started the gathering and we were Phil meeting at your house and it was, we were given the topic of the tabernacle. And I remember asking God, I was like, yeah, please, uh, you know, just let this come through me. And my understanding at that point was just the, 
looking in a book and just looking at a picture of the tabernacle and looking at the how it's laid out and stuff like that. And I thought, well, I'll just do a PowerPoint and then that'll be, we'll go over the tabernacle and that'll be, that'll be it, you know, cause that's the, that was my understanding. Well, little do I know now, well, know this now that the, we've never left the tabernacle lesson because the tabernacle is, is such a deep lesson, just like everything of Yah is because their mother's truth is just, just like the deepest trench in the ocean just continually goes. But, the tabernacles speak of, and actually speaks of this in the word. It talks about the two covenants. One of them on Mount Sinai, which in, is in Arabia, talks about the covenant that leads to death. And then we have the tabernacle in the spiritual, which is the Jerusalem above, which leads to freedom. And really the the symbolic thing, it was, if I remember I was talking about, I can't remember the name, it was maybe Sarah and... It's not coming to mind, but there it was a, a symbol of two women. Anna Ruth, you may know the Hagar. Hagar, yes, thank you. Hagar and Sarah. That Hagar was a picture of the the old covenant, which is leads to bondage. And Sarah was the covenant of the freedom, the free woman. It was the slave woman and the free woman. And Paul even said that these things are symbolic of the two covenants, that one leads to bondage and the other leads to freedom. So it just speaks of, you know, we, we have a picture here of you have the first covenant, which referred to as the old covenant, which is which leads to death because the law was given to let you know that you're a sinner, which puts you into bondage because the law stays with you to where you're a slave to sin. And then you transfer to where the written code is taken away. Now, the law of God is still there. But you transform to the spirit of the law, which is mother, which is the Jerusalem above, which is free, which is the free woman. So the slave woman you have, but you must go through both covenants. That's the thing. You have to start as a slave to God, and then you transform to a free man or free woman, but then you choose to stay with God as you're free. That Just like a slave that was set free, that they, uh, in the Old Testament, where you would have your ear would be pierced with an awl. You know, we have a picture there of circumcision of the heart where you decide that you want your ear pierced because you want to stay with the slave, the slave owner, because the slave owner is good and fair and just. So you decide, well, you know, mark me because I want to stay with you forever. I don't want to leave this, even though you, you're given your freedom. So we're going to be getting into this um, because the even the tabernacle itself is gives a picture of Messiah and his life and, and what he did. So. Starting out with all that, I'll leave it open for Anna, Ruth, Josh, and Phil, if you have any thoughts or anything you'd like to bring out in regards to this. Um, so I had a thought come to mind with, you said that you start out as a slave to God, and I've recently been looking more into philosophy just out of purely my own curiosity, and so I've been reading Aristotle, um, and and combined with that, I'm also doing an in-depth study on Exodus. So just a lot going on in my uh, searching right now. And something they were talking about the um, slavery aspect in Exodus. And they talked about how you're actually a slave to yourself. Um, because... And then, so you're a slave to yourself. And then when you agree to follow God, God frees you from the slavery of yourself. So, um, 
they were just pointing out that God or Yah is has and always been against um, the concept of humans own each other and like forced slavery. And so they were presenting it as you're a slave because you have no control, no self-control over your um, your lust, your sin nature, everything like that. So I just wanted to see if that lined up with um, what uh, you've been talking about and stuff. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, all of it lines up. I mean, anything we talk about in regard to Yah will go back to the scriptures because it's the, the word of God. But if you think about this, it's like if you, we know in the word it says that you're either a slave to the enemy or a slave to God. And you start out as a slave because you're bought and you're the property of God and you come to God and you don't have any rights or anything because you're, they own all the power. They have all the authority and you just want to be a part of it. And, you know, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. But it's obligation because the the nature to to willingly do it isn't in your heart. It's the only place you could change that is in your mind, because your your heart is captive to sin. But in your mind, no, I want to be a slave to God because I want to do what's right and fair. <clears throat> okay, but just like if we look in the world about slavery, that you're not going to be invited into the master's house. You're going to stay in your own quarters because you're on the outside right now. You're a slave until you can be proven that you're going to transform from a slave to a servant to where you're going to enter my house because you can be trusted that you really want to be here. It's your true desire. So it, it you have to start out as a slave to God, but it transfers from slavery to sonship or daughtership is, is what you would call it <clears throat> because you're adopted as a child of God and you're not going to be, to be a child unless you prove child worthy, as you could say, or trustworthy because well, my son Yeshua is my son. Well, are you like him? Are you desiring to be like him? Then, because that's the model. So, you because the law makes you a slave to God because you're condemned. I mean, no hope. All you have is the mercy of God, and that's why you must see God as a terror first in order to fall at their feet and say, "Please have mercy on me." Okay. Well, you're going to be tested in that. Do you really want to do this? And um, I was watching some clips of a movie last night. I don't know if you all have seen this. It's from the late eighties. It's called Lean on Me with Morgan Freeman. And I really thought about this in regards to Abba being a terror, that there was a kid that he actually kicked out of school. Like he kicked out all these drug dealers and like pushers and things like that. And he was just standing outside the school and he came up to him and he's, he's like, sir, I want to come back into school. And he's like, you know, who are you? And he looked at the list and he was like, Sam's okay. And no, you, you did these drugs. So no, I didn't make any mistake. He's like, please, please, I want to come in. And he was like, come with me. And he dragged him up on the roof of the thing. And he was just like chewing him out and being a terror to him. And he said, just go ahead and jump, get it over with. And he's like, no, I don't want to kill myself. Yeah, you do. Because you're, you know, you're, you're doing these drugs. You're killing yourself slowly. You just, you know, get it over with. And, you know, really giving him a lecture to really, you know, scare him. And he was just pleading everything. And he was just like, okay, I'll give you one more chance. If you can, I'll let you back in my school this one time. Now we know that y'all's not going to do that, but the point was he was a terror to him and he had to be willing to face the terror in order to receive the mercy. Cause at the end he said, okay, now go downstairs, go ahead and get in my school. You know, I don't want to hear, hear about this again. And just made me think of you, you've got to come to God as a terror to understand who they are, to get away from sin. Because if you don't fear God, then you won't depart from sin because you'll be comfortable in it until you see God as a terror that you're going to be in hell forever if this, because this is one that holds the power. And, and even in the old Testament says, you know, that 
Yah did this to that you would fear them so that you would depart from sin, that you would get away from sin. And that's the point is you're a slave to sin because of the written code. And you've got to get away from, you've got to put that written code to death. You've got to be crucified with Messiah in order to transfer to the new covenant, which is, it's just a transference of the covenant, the covenant from the letter to the spirit of it, because it's still the same agreement. You have to be willing to give everything, give your very life. Well, it just transfers to, okay, well now I'm just going to take the law and I'm going to write it on your heart now to where you can actually be my son or daughter because I'm going to take sin from you. And with the tabernacle, the tabernacle gives a clear picture of all the different um, you know, parts of it and things like that. But yeah, we must start as a slave and then transfer from a slave to a, a child. Not everybody is a child of God. You're not a child of God just because you're born and you're in this world that everybody's a child of God. No, not everybody is a child of God. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the enemy. I mean, there's, you know, it's either one or the other. So yeah, it starts out as a slave and because it's obligation and then it transfers to uh, willingness. And then at that point, you transform from being a slave to God to a um, a child. And it's the same thing. You could stay on the enemy side that, you know, you start out as a son or daughter of the enemy. And then, you know, you've got to get away from that. So it's on both sides as well. See, here's the difference. The, like the Israelites, when they went into the land uh, of Egypt, they were willfully giving in their, uh, their lives because they were getting a benefit from it. So they sold themselves into slavery rather than, because later on it got to be where you know, slaves were sold by other people for their own gain. And so you're sold by somebody else into that slavery. And really, with the enemy's perspective, you are a child of the enemy. You're sold into that slavery at birth. That, that was the curse of eating of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that that was the curse that you were sold into slavery because you don't have a choice that you're a slave to the enemy. And ultimately what that means, like Anna Ruth had brought up, is that you're a slave to your own selfishness, which is the enemy's work. And uh, you, you want to have that transformation. But with God, you are 
you sell yourself to God, and then through Messiah, you get the freedom to decide if you want to stay, and then if you want to stay, then you get the piercing of the ear, which be, would be the equivalent of the circumcision of the heart, to have to become a child of God. And so it's just, uh, those are a couple of the things that were going through my mind as I was thinking of it thinking about what you guys are saying and uh, you know it's it's cool like Anna Ruth you're looking into the philosophies because we spoke not too long ago on a podcast of how we dig into other things to try to find some more truth because everybody has some piece of the truth and the true way of God is where you take all the true pieces and put them together and you follow all of those instead of following one specific avenue or another. Yeah, and so far, um, I, again, I just really like it because it's opening my mind to looking at things in a just a different perspective, but then finding the threads that tie them back uh, to Yah. And with the discussion like about uh they called it that everybody has an inner tyrant like your um your own and they're not saying sin nature but specifically but that's kind of what they're talking about is the sin nature is your own inner tyrant and in today's culture people don't even recognize that they think that um oh all the little sayings i think we've talked about those before like do what makes you happy, um, you are the most important, um, all those kinds of things. And they made a statement that was really funny to me. They said um, when people are like asking questions about why are people, why would you be useless in society? And he said, um, that's the wrong question. He's like, that's because it's your default programming. He's like, it's easy to be useless. It's easy to give into selfishness. It's easy to pick the thing that makes you feel like short-term good. And faith is typically the opposite of that. You're striving to question your own decisions, like what your reactions would be. And you're choosing actively to take control of your inner tyrant and then make a decision, usually what we would say for yeah or for good, um, when I say good and not like what makes you feel good necessarily, but what is truly good according to Yah. So it's just been cool to see that and cool to think about how far we've fallen from that in today's like thought patterns. Yeah, I, there was a one of the famous uh, psychologists that's they, they've got lots of videos out was talking about everybody, you shouldn't be docile, said everybody should be a monster, but control it. Which, at first thought, it's like, yeah, okay, but here's the problem. When you have a monster, and the nature of the monster is to be a monster, eventually, you're going to lose control of that monster. And it happens. You know, you have a monster in you 
no matter who you are or where you are in a faith perspective. But you have to recognize uh, where that monster is and is that monster you or is it something else? And because pre-circumcision of the heart, the monster in you is you. It's your selfishness because you do everything for selfishness and that's why you have murder-suicides because people flip their lid and when they're not thinking, that monster's loose. It's on the loose and, and it'll, it'll devour and destroy anything that's in its path. If you happen to be an innocent bystander, sorry about your luck, but that's because that's the nature of a monster. And everybody is born with that nature of a monster, which is the sinful nature. And, you know, you see it when somebody does something and then all of a sudden everybody's like, oh my gosh, he was such a, a docile, a nice person. And I don't understand why, why he would do something like this. He went to church every Sunday and it's because he had a monster in him and he was trying to control the monster. And it's an impossibility. You, you, eventually, your monster will come out. Think about the last time you just got mad at somebody and screamed at them. You know, it, it's that's that monster rising up. Here's the objective. For me, I don't want to be a monster. I, I, I'm okay with if somebody does me wrong, then it's in God's hands. The, the monster I want in me is God, the terror. So if I have God with me, just like Abraham was told, if they terrorize you, I will terrorize them. If they attack you, I will attack them. And with that thought, instead of a monster, would you would it be that you'd have the lion in you, like Messiah, the lion of Judah? As a lion, I mean, I don't picture them just going off unhinged. I mean, they do have some man-eating lions and stuff like that. For the most part, they're there to um, kind of oversee their pride, like look out for threats. But then if a threat comes, and if they need to, which in our case would be if Yah were to say, take a stand on such and such for faith, then that may appear monstrous to somebody but it's restrained, it's controlled, and it's from Yah. Right, and you don't have any fear, because like Daniel in the lion's den, there, when God closed the mouth of the lions, and you have the lion on your side, but if the lion's not on your side, and they're protecting their territory, um, I would not want to be opposite a lion who is protecting their territory. I mean, just just the roar itself would scare you away. Uh, but yes, that's a that's a beautiful example of, you know, Messiah was the lamb when he was here, and many people think that that's they're gonna see the holes in his hands when he comes back. And it, no, I mean he's he's no longer the lamb of God. He was but now he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and it's going to be fierce. And that, that's exactly right. I, that's what I want, is I want the terror of God to be what is what has my back. Just like if you're friends with the terrorist, 
you know that they've got your back. If somebody crosses you, they're going to do something about it. And, you know, just not just terrorists. We've talked about this before in the mafia. It operates the same way, you know, families, everything. And you don't, you know, you don't cross family. And if you do, then you're going to pay for it. But it's just important to understand that I understand the philosophy of what he was saying about controlling the monster, meaning don't let people walk all over you. But the reality is, is that did they walk all over Messiah? When he, you know, not, not all the time, because there were times where they couldn't even touch him because it wasn't his time. So I depend on the same aspect of God that if somebody's trampling over me, then it's in God's hands. And if somebody's not trampling over me, who might want to, then it's still in God's hands because he's holding them at bay. And so either way you looked at it, in circumcision of the heart, we should recognize a transformation from the old monster. And that's where the New Testament says, talks about, you know, not having fits of rage because fits of rage come from the monster within. And it's very easy because you get frustrated, then you get aggravated, then you get angry. And as soon as you get angry, you're not thinking anymore. And that's when that beast will rise up and attack and come after you. I just find it very entertaining how um, mother works yesterday, having some quiet time and just asking, you know, what would you like me to read? Joshua five. All right. And coming across things in Joshua that I had not remembered. Um, it's right after they've crossed the Jordan, gone into the promised land and Yah tells Joshua, you're going to circumcise all of this tribe because the first part of this people perished in the wilderness because of disobedience. And now they've gone before the Ark of the Covenant, passed through the waters of the Jordan into the promised land, and they need to be circumcised before they go and take over this land. And talking about the aspect of Yusha with the warrior concept, that's an example of Joshua going in and taking over the promise. Nothing stood in his way. His army went right through and did exactly what they were told to do by Yah, no opposition, and did it in a controlled manner where very few, if any, were lost in battle because of how they handled themselves. And just going back to the concept of the covenant and seeing that process in the Old Testament laid out as um, a, a future prophecy was very interesting. And I was like, wow, I didn't catch that the first time. And actually in the scriptures that I read, it actually says um, a second time. It circumcised them a second time. It talks about a second circum. Nah, it doesn't say it in the NIV, but I just thought that was really interesting because we talk about you circumcising your heart is your pledge of a good conscience before Yah. And then at a certain point in faith, when you've proven that to Yah, you gain circumcision of the heart done by mother. I just thought that was a very interesting concept that even mentions it in Old Testament scripture. Well, think about this with what you just said, that 
with the second circumcision, now you can take over the land. Now you have the ability to be self-controlled to control your lower what you put in the lower conscience and get it out, because that that promised land is the kingdom of heaven. But being in in Messiah, you still carry this tent, and now you have control of the lower conscience because of the second circumcision. Now you can get the things that are you can etch in the godly and then have to you know kind of blow out the shavings of that's the things coming up because when you etch in stuff has to come out as you etch in so it's a continual etching getting you know just like with wood you get the sawdust out you etch you get the sawdust out and it's going to take time and process but this this basically too the i mean revelation from mother that you have in the word it says that the second covenant could not come into effect while the first tabernacle was still standing. The first tabernacle being, it's talking about the earthly, but the earthly tabernacle was giving you a picture of Messiah and his work that the new covenant cannot come into practice while the first tabernacle was still standing, meaning Messiah is that first tabernacle. He's got to die in order for the new covenant to go into effect. And the same thing with us, in order for you to be in the new covenant, the first tabernacle, your selfishness, everything has got to be torn down. It's got to be put to death so that you can be raised to life. And now you can be raised in Messiah in the new covenant. Because people assume that, well, I made a decision to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, and therefore I walk in the new covenant now. No, you can only walk in the new covenant when the second, ta- the first tabernacle has to be torn down so that you can enter the spiritual tabernacle. And this is talking about a transformation from being in the flesh to in the spirit. Because it even mentions in Hebrews, when the first tabernacle was standing, it was a physical representation of ceremonies and various washings and things until the time of the Reformation, which is Messiah. And even Messiah said that, tear down this temple, and in three days it'll be risen again. So... It's saying that it's a transference from the earthly, which is because you're in the flesh, to you You start in the old tabernacle, and it gives you, in each step, it tells you the faith journey. You have the sacrifice, you have the washing, and then you have the part that's hidden, which that's the work of Messiah that hadn't come. That's why it's covered with the tent. All right, You have the work of Messiah back there. You have the, the, the lampstand. You have the bread. You have the altar of incense, the prayers. And you have the, which is the holy place, and then the most holy place is the Ark of the Covenant. That's the revelation of Mother, which is hidden. She's behind the curtain. She's the Holy of Holies. So Messiah is a picture of that because he's the representation of the temple of God, that you've got to walk through the first one first. You've got to be under the law first to be a schoolmaster so you can then understand the spiritual tabernacle. That's why you've got to go through the Old Testament first, because you have to be under the law, just like Messiah was under the law. You've got to walk under the law until you get a point of transformation to the spirit of it by circumcision of the heart. So it's given us a picture in each step, like the sacrificial system has not been done away with. People think that, well, sacrifice was done away with when the blood of bulls and goats was put aside and Messiah died and and all sacrifices are gone. But that's not the truth of it. The truth of it is the animal sacrifices are obsolete. Like they're they're put to the side. But sacrifice must be there to be in covenant with God. But it just went from a transformation from the blood of bulls and goats to the your own blood. 
that you give your very life, like your life is your blood, everything. You've got to sacrifice yourself just like Messiah did. That's what's required in order to go into the new covenant. And Messiah was the example. He's the mediator. He's the first one because his blood is there. Then our blood is acceptable to God. So it's it's a transformation. Go ahead, Andrew. Just clarifying that when you talk about sacrificing a life, you are meaning from a spiritual Correct. Yes. Point. Like Yeah, this isn't a a promoting of committing suicide. No, because um, suicide is not sacrifice. I mean, suicide would be from a a selfish perspective. That, but sacrifices it's a willing of giving your life over. So you're you're correct. We're not Yah's not saying, all right, everybody, you need to go and be crucified just like my son. But you you must be crucified. But it is from a spiritual. Like your crucifixion is, you're putting yourself to death of all yourself, everything, and giving it over to God willfully. That's that's the, the key. So you're exactly right. It is a spiritual sacrifice. And I just know there are some practices with like cutting yourself and offering oh. blood to certain deities and stuff. So yeah, not that perhaps most people would think that, but just that we're being really clear about it. So well just to tie back into what Phil was talking about earlier about the monster inside that the sacrificing is you beating and fighting that monster for the rest of your walk in faith that when that monster rises up you stand with Jan and say no you do not control this this body this is not yours this is not where you dwell anymore and you're beating that in submission which is an aspect of sacrificing the self you're sacrificing that monster over and over again until it no longer rises up but that won't happen till perfection <clears throat> temple and then you have the tabernacle which is in the kingdom of God the perfect tabernacle which is an aspect of your walk your faith journey is that when you're in the obligation you're in the desert and the desert is the testing time when you're in the testing and then when you by get away from obligation and you decide that you're not going to, uh, that you want to be obedient to the things of God and you're going to do it to the best of your ability, then the temple then becomes your body. The, the temple in Jerusalem was a representation of Messiah's body and that's what he was saying. When you destroy this temple in three days, I'll rebuild it. And so he was correlating that the temple was a representation of his body. And don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? So the objective is not a earthly temple, though the earthly temple will be built again before the end comes. That's stated uh, in Revelation and then there'll be, but there's also a lot of uh, metaphorical understanding in Revelation as well because even now you can look at different aspects that people are driving in faith and can you not see the abomination that causes desolation the, the lies that lead people to feel like they're comfortable but 
in the end, they're going to be desolate. They're going to be in that uh, eternal torment. And they don't even see it because they're not looking for it now. They're looking for it in the end, which it will come in the end as well. But it also is here now, just like it said, you know, it talks about the Antichrist. But even many Antichrists are already here in the world. And Scripture uh, speaks about that. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at the tabernacle, you have to get to the tabernacle in the desert. Okay. And in order to do that, you have to start your exodus out of the old way of life. You've got to do your exodus out of Egypt. That's an absolute mindset that I'm going to figure out how to be in the good graces of God. And then you just start walking in that. And then that will lead you up to the temple in the desert where with Abba, you have to go through the process of getting into the courtyard and then using the uh, basin for washing and then using the altar for sacrifice and then entering into the uh, holy place and then entering into the most holy place, which brings you to repentance to Abba. And then you move to now you, you're on another testing ground and you're moved out into the uh, temple and you walk, walk the same process with Messiah. So with Messiah, you have to get into the courtyard again. And then you have to get into the, you have to have the, the cleansing for obedience. And then you have to have the sacrifice. And then you go through all those steps, get into the most holy place. And now you're in line to enter into the spiritual tabernacle with circumcision of the heart. So as you enter in, when you hit that most holy place, you've traveled through all three aspects. And now you have in this life, you dwell in the heavenly tabernacle. And the tabernacle and the temple are hugely important, especially when you think about the words that God told Moses when he was on the mountain and he was given the instructions be sure to do this exactly as I have instructed. And then God uh, gave laborers that were able to carry the load, that were able to do the different aspects to build the tabernacle in the desert. But it was just, as I was sitting here, that was just mother bringing that to my mind, that you have to walk through the tabernacle in the desert, you have to walk through the uh, temple in the city, and then you have to walk through the godly tabernacle. And in that, your your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you hit the end of that, that's how mother's able to come and dwell in you because you fulfilled all of it. Because like Sean said earlier, the uh, contract is... It cannot be put into effect until all parties involved sign. You sign, Abba signs, Messiah signs, then the Spirit signs. And when the Spirit signs, now we get the seal and it's locked in as long as you don't breach that contract. I don't know if we've 
touched on this before or not, uh, but it came to mind that when you make that decision to leave Egypt or leave your Egypt and you set off for the tabernacle in the desert, that the Pharaoh is going to pursue you. Uh, we have talked about this a number of times, like in our own gathering, um, as you may not even at the start of your journey, and then as you continue to make heart changes, um, something I discovered about myself was that I can be a petty person. So I was like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And so I've been given opportunities um, where, I, I guess it depends on how you look at it, and maybe it depends on where you are in faith. Like, um, you know, the enemy could be pursuing me as in trying to pull me to do something petty or it's Yah giving me opportunities to walk further away from being petty but I also have circumcision of the heart so that aside um, if you were just leaving Egypt and deciding to pursue Yah know that the enemy is not happy about that and will send the full army and full arsenal after you so you have to keep moving forward, draw close to Yah, they will draw close to you, and as you keep walking towards them, then the sea will close over the enemy and push them away. You know, make sure that you put on the full armor of God, because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, spiritual forces of darkness in the realms, the enemy pursuing to where... Yeah, we're, but make sure you're protected because the enemy can still attack. Even though he can't tempt now, he can attack. And make sure you have that full armor of God on, that you have the fullness of faith, that all pieces together so that, oh, you don't have all the armor on? Well, I'll attack you, which, that which isn't covered. And that's the thing is make sure you're fully covered, that steadfastness of mind, you know, to, to make sure that, oh, okay, and I see this now. No, get away from me. I'm not doing that. Okay, and then you, you throw it off the army, but... Yeah, don't think that they're just sitting there like, oh, well, nothing I can do now. I'll just stop. No, that there's things that they're not able to come into the strong tower, but they can come around and they can throw stuff. They can entice all kinds of different things. So make sure you find the place where you have the fullness of this, the, the one baptism where you're immersed in all of this and that you're in covenant with Yah and that you stay in that because then that's where your protection is, is that Yah's got your back, that I'll never leave you nor forsake you, that I'm with you heart and soul. So just make sure that you're there. And, and that that's, this is really cool. Cause I, I didn't even recognize that part of it, that every single step is a, a different tabernacle for each step that, um, which is good. Cause it, it just shows that you, you get to the, the end of it, you get at the mercy seat. Well, they're, they're one. So you're at the mercy seat of Abba and Yeshua and mother. And you, you carry all three, you carry all three aspects, the tablets, you carry, um, the manna, which is Yeshua. And then Aaron's rod that budded mother, the fruit of the spirit where you, you're in the tree of life that you keep that all together as one. And you just carry that with you as the ark, like Messiah was the ark, but in him, he's the ark. So you carry all that around continually. <coughs> I just thought this was a uh, really interesting. I had a, a thought come to mind about we we referenced movies before, but there's a, a saying that Morgan Freeman actually says in one of these movies. Uh, I think it's Bruce Almighty, uh, and it talked about you know making a decision that I'm not going to be pet anymore, or I'm not going to get frustrated with things anymore, or I'm not going to have pride anymore. And in the movie, the line is, you know, if someone has asked 
for their family to become closer? Do you think God zaps them with warm, fuzzy feelings, or do you think God provides opportunities for them to prove love to one another? And that's the absolute truth. I mean, a statement of truth in that. If I set my mind that, hey, I am not going to allow things to upset me anymore, not to be frustrated with the situations when they come up. I'm going to have situations come up where frustration is going to rise. And in that moment, I have the opportunity to choose to either give into that frustration or to take a step back and say, I'm getting frustrated. There's a selfish reason behind this. This is my issue. And start to talk to mother to figure out how to work backwards so that frustration does not rise anymore. And then process through that and then move on to the situation that comes up. So, Anna, bringing that up, I just wanted to touch in on that because that brought that movie section to mind. I just, this thought about the, in the heavenly that we're, where it says when there is a change of priesthood and of necessity, there needs to be a change of the law, which Messiah even said that not even one stroke of the pen of the law will be done away with. So it's a transference from the physical, the earthly to the heavenly, the eternal, which that's why it says that there must be greater sacrifices that the blood of Messiah is so precious because that's the the greatest blood sacrifice that would cleanse the heavenlies. So once those are cleansed, then therefore our sacrifice is accepted before God because those the heavenly has been cleansed. So that's why we must have Messiah. But the priesthood changed from Aaron and his sons to Melchizedek, <clears throat> the priesthood in the order of Melchizedek, which the Melchizedek priesthood, which is a mystery, is a eternal priesthood that has been around, you know, because it says, you know, God even says of Yeshua that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. <clears throat> and Melchizedek means king of Salem or king of righteousness, which it says the order. <laughs> so we know that there's, again, I'll, I'll leave it at that, but the, a, a mystery that Yah has given us information on that. And at some point that'll come out, but that Messiah is a eternal priest. So, <clears throat> That's why he's able, he's the perfect one to mediate between mankind and Yah because he's been through and suffered, been in a body of flesh, knows what it's like. He's able to mediate. And we were just talking about this recently that a mediator is somebody that is a go between between the two parties, making it clear what the agreement is so that I'm here to bring reconciliation. Now, I'm not, I myself, you have to choose uh, to reconcile, but I'm bringing information so that you can be reconciled to God. But people think that, well, he came to do it all for me. No, because a mediator is a go-between. Like if you've ever heard of a mediation and because I've experienced with insurance is there's two sides that are not in agreement. And the mediator goes to both sides to see, can we reach an agreement here? So I'm just bringing you information like Yeshua is bringing Abba and Ema's information to say, okay, this is what you must do to be reconciled. Okay. I'm doing this. I'm the example. If you want to reconcile, then you must do what I've done. Then you must walk as I did because I'm the one that's able to give the opportunity for reconciliation. So, but if you don't agree to this, then there's not going to be any reconciliation. But if you do, you know, just like, well, how do I get saved? Well, Messiah told him, go and sell everything and give it to the poor that I'm a mediator that you want the kingdom of God. You have to be willing to sacrifice everything. Well, and he went away. Sorry. All right, I'll go on to the next person. But 
he didn't do it for him. But that's one of the things is, well, when Messiah gave his life, he, he died for all my sins and it's all done. No, he died as an example because he's the high priest. But he's the high priest that died for his sins, which he didn't sin, but he had the corrupt body that had to be atoned for. <clears throat> so he's the example, find the because he did. You know, it's not going to be done for you. And if somebody thinks that it is going to be done for you, then you're going to have a wake-up call at the end. Well, I thought that I did all these things. No, you didn't depart from sin. You practice lawlessness. Get away from me. You know, you talk about the lion. They're going to be face-to-face. And, well, I thought this. Very, And it, it says that he'll tell them plainly, get away from me. I never knew you. Well, the reason is, is because you didn't find a place to um, be reconciled to God, to go through all the tabernacles and to have the contract signed that you never had a contract and you want to get in. It'd just be like, if you go to the white house, well, I want to get in. Where's the security pass? Oh, you know me. Where's the security pass? You don't have it. Get away from me. Well, you don't understand. I get this person out of here. You, you don't have the clearance. Oh, Josh. Hey, come on in. No issue. Just go right in the gate. You know what I mean? It's just, and just giving a, a earthly example, but Make sure that you have the triplicate contract Um, because from this with insurance that if you sign, um, a lot of it is like if you're signing a title over to a car to um, different states have different um, power of attorney forms and they have what's called a triplicate form, which if you've seen these, the form is pretty thick and it'll have like a yellow copy, a pink copy. And when you sign on there, it goes through to all three um, layers. Like you have the original and then you have your copy and when all that's signed, it's like it's a triplicate because you have all those contract. The contract is signed by everybody, and then the notary seal gets on it, which is that raised seal. That's the circumcision of the heart that there's the seal. Okay, now it's in effect, and Yah will not break their part of it. So make sure you don't break yours, and that's the thing. It, it's a um, what's referred to in arbitration as it's a binding contract, which means it's enforceable to where if you you break it, there's going to be consequence. And you, you must agree to the terms of this. So it, it's such a deeper thing. There's so much more to this. And if somebody has the, the mindset that, well, the Old and the New Testament, they, they're just completely different, that you don't need the Old Testament, then you're sorely mistaken. Because, Josh, even as you were given, the Old Testament talks about the New Covenant. I mean, it talks about the New Covenant in Jeremiah. It talks about it, or maybe Isaiah, but in one of those. that um, And then the, the second circumcision. Well, the only one that they would have known would have been the physical. Well, what's the second circumcision? I mean, that's spiritual discernment. That's circumcision of the heart is what it's talking about so that you can enter the land. Well, you don't have the fullness of faith. You don't enter the kingdom of God. I mean, that's a great picture of that. I never even saw that. That's beautiful revelation right there. that is a desolate, um, harder location to be in. But I also thought about the fact that you're isolated away from a lot of temptations. So in your initial start to meet Yah, 
you're, of course, you're leaving captivity, um, you're leaving Egypt, you're proving to Yah that you want to leave Pharaoh and you don't want to go back. And so you have your time of testing in the desert. While it's challenging, it's new, and it's different, there aren't as many temptations around. And then if you picture a temple in a city as you move into the test of obedience, I picture a city as having a lot more people, a lot more opportunities, a lot more areas to get distracted and to find that place of ease and comfort um, that could potentially pull you away from Yah. So you're stage two, you're adding in a lot more um, temptations that could move you away from Yah. So I'm wondering if you would see a lessening of the direct attack of the enemy on you. And potentially that could let a spirit of complacency come in and move you away from that desire to pursue Yah. And it's up to you to recognize, I mean, you could also recognize it as, oh, thank you, Yah, for giving me a break from some of these, maybe what we would perceive harder attacks from the enemy. And you can use that to push forward to the final um, area with mother. But that just came to mind, so I'm curious to see all thoughts on it. It came to mind because mother put it there. Oh, cool. I like that. It, it's, I mean, I've spoken about some stuff tonight that I didn't know before tonight. I mean, that's the beauty part about uh, what Messiah was saying, that when you go out to speak, don't worry about what to say, because the Spirit will give you what you need. And just bits and pieces here and there. And it's interesting because that, that goes along with what I what I've seen in my faith journey is that at the onset of uh, the, the desert tabernacle, you're, there, there isn't, I mean, it's there, but it's not as prevalent. Well, it's because you're being tested on different levels. And so that's the basic level that God wants to test you to see, do you really repent to me. Do you really agree with everything I say, whether you understand it or not? And then when you move to the tabernacle in the city, then it the temptations and the uh, things increase. And sometimes you may be on this faith journey and you might wonder why, why is it getting, why is my sin getting worse? Well, as long as you're seeking God with all of your heart, it doesn't matter from that perspective because you have forgiveness of sins if you've repented to Abba. So, but you will notice that your sins will get worse. And then when you start your journey through the heavenly tabernacle, well, guess what? Now you're in the spiritual realm. And now the intensity is really going to be turned up. Not so that you'll be tempted to fall away, but so you'll be tested and proved genuine before God. And then they can give you the circumcision of the heart, which then brings a relief and a release. And then your sin goes away. And so it's just, it, it, that's very much uh, pretty cool the way Mother laid that out. Uh, I never really thought about it from that perspective, but it, 
it makes sense and it does. I know from my faith journey that things gradually got worse and worse until, you know, because my mind, in my mind, uh, I was a slave to God. But in my body or in, you know, in the, the sin aspect, you know, that what I do, I do not want to do. And that what I want to do, I do not do. I was, I mean, I was really in that. And then I remember crying out to God. And I said this on a previous podcast, just crying out. I, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't want this. Why is it getting worse? Well, I know now. And people will know as they go through this journey that to expect it's going to get worse. The key is don't cave, don't give in. And well, I just can't get away from it. So I might as well, you know, if you can't beat them, join them. No, if you can't beat them, die trying to beat them. That that's the objective goal of seeking God with all of your heart. So that's kind of my fault in that aspect of what you brought out. So just a real life example, um, mother telling me I get to use a part of my life and my faith journey in this description for me, uh, being someone who I would say is an alcoholic, but I've come a long way from being an alcoholic to, I no longer desire alcohol at all. Um, that's an example of the desert aspect when I finally set my heart or my mind that I wasn't going to drink alcohol anymore a lot of pain, a lot of struggle to get to that point. And then the isolation aspect of not being around it at all. Hey, do you want to go out tonight? No, because there's going to be alcohol there. I'm not going. Well, do you want to go hang out with friends? No, there might be alcohol there. I'm not going. So isolating myself from alcohol so that it wasn't around me so that I wouldn't be tempted or wouldn't struggle to give into that. And then moving further past that as time grew, to being able to be around it or around people who were drinking or in that environment. And there's still a, I would say there's still a draw because it was an addiction at one point. So there still is a draw, but not anything that's overcomable with faith. All things are possible. So there's no longer a desire to drink alcohol. It's more of a draw. Like, well, remember when you used to do this, it's no longer who I am. But just like you talked about complacency, if I get to a point of complacency, and I would say even a month or two ago, having a thought invade of, ah, oh, you know, it's been three years since you've had a drink. You could probably have, you know, one or two drinks tonight and just hang out at the house. Well, whoa, absolutely not. I'm not opening that door. That's been shut. Why on earth would I open that door again and try and allow that back into my life? Absolutely not. So just seeing progression from um, where I was to where I'm at now. And seeing a real life example of that from a desert isolation aspect to being around it and tempted by it. And then even being on guard to not get complacent with something because you can still fall to it even if you get complacent with it. And once you've been addicted to something, then you need to stay away from it. You know, I have my own with the chewing tobacco uh, perspective. Where the objective, Josh, is that you you don't have the addiction anymore. No. Okay, uh, but that's not a aspect to say uh, don't be on guard because 
conscience, you still have potential energy that's sitting there that can be pushed into action if you allow it. But the reason I say it's not an addiction is because you're able to say that you didn't go back to it. You didn't, uh, even though uh, the thoughts were there coming up from the lower conscience, that, you know, I, I've had thoughts. Uh, you know, somebody opens up a can of snuff and I smell it. You get, you know, you just, because you did it for so long as part of your programming, then, but I know that I, I, it, it's about knowing your limitations. And I know that I cannot even do just one dip because I will be right back on it. I know that. And therefore, that's what keeps me from being addicted to it is my mindset with the help of Yah to stay away from that what I know will drag me back down. It can't be, well, just one time. No, because most things happen to you in a slow fade. It, it, it's that just this once becomes just this once again, becomes just this twice. And then before you know it, you know, people don't wake up in the morning and say, and hey, Ruth, I'm going to be an alcoholic today. Well. Yeah. And, but no, <laughs> you, you don't become an alcoholic overnight. <laughs> you become an alcoholic over a long time of doing it and then continuing to do it and doing it more. And a lot of times it's a medication, you know, even the, you know, chewing tobacco, smoking, whatever it is, it's a medication. You're medicating something. You know, you're trying to calm your mind, you know, and I used to say that with chewing tobacco, I, you know, I needed to do it. And it, it just, it calmed me down. No, nicotine doesn't calm you down. No. And it's like, like, and I would, I would do that and drink coffee all day long. So now we got nicotine and caffeine working together as good buddies. And here I'm just like, I'm, a, I'm, I'm calm. And no, no, you, you deceive yourself into making that way. Uh, yeah. I was just going to jump in and say that probably actually puts you in a heightened state to perhaps be more emotional, more reactive or something like that without you even knowing not saying you did it on purpose. Well, and the great thing about seeking out with all your heart is when you're truly seeking out with all your heart, they allow you to see things that you couldn't understand on your own. For me, why was drinking such a big part of my life? Why did I like to get drunk? Well, ultimately it came down to that monster of selfishness. Well, if I've had a drink, then I can't be asked to go do this, or I can't be asked to go drive or go out or go do these things. Cause well, I'm not safe to drive. Cause I've had, that was my way of medicating so that when I got home from work, I could sit on the couch and play video games or do what I wanted to do. And no one could say, Oh, well, let's go do this. I can't, I've, I've had a drink or two. I'm, I'm not safe to drive. So I can't do this. It was an excuse to get my way and feed that selfish monster. And once seeing that, it allowed me to really evaluate, is that really a fair and just thing to do to Yah? No, that's me feeding the monster. So absolutely not. 
And that helped that much more to overcome that with the help of Yah because of that mindset. Just had this come to mind with the aspect of the, the three tabernacles that we have another place in scripture where it talks about this is that Messiah says like, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And it, this came to mind, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, which is your mind, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. So you have, you love the Lord, your God in the first with Abba, which in your mind, repentance in your heart, obedience in your soul, the trust, and then in doing what you do with all your strength to where, because you have it in your mind, but in order for it to be faith, you have to act on it. So you have all three as well, really all four that love the Lord, your God, and it doesn't matter what order, love the Lord with all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, that it's a complete giving everything over to them because it's in your mind so that you can act on that. Then it gets into your heart by Messiah, then into your soul. The core you are is that complete trust in them for everything. And then you walking it out is with all your strength, with all your might, with everything. And that's what shows love for God. And then also love your neighbor as yourself. So show love to other people as well as Messiah has, Yah has loved you. So in all the immersion and even as well, when Messiah says, cause people will say, do you have to be baptized? Well, this must be done to fulfill all righteousness. So, you must be baptized in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. So you have to be fully immersed in all aspects of Yah in order to be fully covered, be fully submerged. And that's the thing. If you're looking for it, Yah's made all this abundantly clear in the scriptures and mother given revelation that you're just, we're just getting the word of God that's living and active. And it just keeps being added to and added to and just keeps is growing and, and moving and, and different things. But, yeah, you must walk through what the Bible says to do. You must leave Egypt, just like we left Egypt. We left the old life behind. And the enemy, like you said, the enemy will pursue you. The enemy will do whatever they can to, if they can't get you directly, they'll attack. They'll do whatever they can to get involved, to mess things up, whatever. You know, anything you can do to discredit the people of God. But that's why we're called to be blameless, to where it doesn't matter what kind of accusation is being brought. It's not going to stick because there's nothing to be blamed for. So that's why I get to the place of no sin where you can be blameless to where who can bring a charge against God's elect. You can, but it's not going to, Yah's not going to know because Yah justifies. I'm the one that's justified them. What if you have any art or complaint come to me, but it's going to be squashed because there's nothing against them now. So. Well, and just you talking about the, the mind, the heart, the, the soul aspect, that concept of the one, Ehad came to mind and about how when you are unified, there is nothing that can't be done, especially with Yah. When you are unified with Yah, I mean, you picture a team or anything like that, when they're all on one mind, they all know the play, they all understand their position, they all execute to the best of their ability, it works because they're all acting as one. And again, Joshua at one point there was a huge army they were fighting and it outnumbered them by numerous people. And because they all acted as one, they overtook that army. And it was, I think it was like three times the size of them and didn't lose any men. So um, just the Yihad aspect came to mind when you spoke about that. And I was like, I never saw that before. So that was just something to share. Well, also that 
when you had the few people overtaking the powerful armies, that God was with them and God went before them. And so, yes, the, the unity is a huge perspective, no question at all. But that unity, that unity combined with the strength of God and brought up, you know, to love the Lord your God with all your strength. Well, all my strength is God's strength. And how do you get God's strength? Full commitment. Second Chronicles 69 for the eyes of the Lord range back and forth throughout the whole earth, searching to strengthen the heart that is fully committed to them. And it has to be full commitment. Um, so it's funny how we circle back to Joshua because I had thought about this, moved on from Joshua, and I was like, me, me, just, just wasn't meant to come out. Um, and now here we are back to Joshua. So... <laughs> Uh, something that I remembered from the story of Joshua, because yes, they were taking the land, they were following Yah, they were doing what they were supposed to do, and I think this is just an example of even after you have circumcision of the heart, you were still like battling your programming, you're still, there are things you have to work on, or that you want to work on, things to get rid of. I don't remember what tribe this was, but they pretended to be weak, malnourished, poor. They looked like they had traveled for three days. They come up to Joshua and his army because they're terrified, and rightfully so. They know what's been going on in the land. And so they beg Joshua to make a treaty with them because, like, they're like, see, look at our bread. You know, we've traveled so far to meet you. You know, we're poor, we're not a threat to you. And so Joshua and the um, Israelites, they make this covenant, they make this treaty without consulting Yah beforehand. And then, come to find out, it was like the next city that they were about to attack. It was a strong city. And they come up to it, and the people come out, and they have this treaty. And now, and again, this is what I love about faith and us in faith is that Joshua honors the treaty because he recognized that, oh, I did do that. I'm the one that didn't consult y'all. I'm the one that didn't like run this by and truly and carefully evaluate it. You know, I went off of my instinct, my reaction, not response, which is something we talk about a lot. So just as, I mean, as great as they were doing, there was still this, um, area where maybe he just got, he just wasn't thinking or got a little too confident or so I don't think he did it out of, um, oh, I'm big and bad. I think he just was like, oh, wow, look at this poor, humble people. What threat can they be to us? And didn't run it by, yeah. Right. And it's interesting because it goes back to you know, whenever they made uh, covenants and vows with people, God was involved in it. You know, we, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do this or that. Or, And <clears throat> just interesting with that story, it goes back to you make a covenant with somebody in the name of Yah. 
then you need to uphold it. And if you can't uphold it, you shouldn't have made the covenant in the first place uh, because God's going to demand it of you. And so be careful making covenants to other people for God because you, you don't want to be responsible for that. But I just listened here recently to Ezekiel chapter 33. And in Ezekiel chapter 33, it talks about when God sends, you know, he's talking about the watchman. And the watchman is the, the one that was waiting to see if there was danger. And if there was danger and the watchman warned the people, but they didn't do anything, and their blood would be on their own hands. But if he didn't warn the people and something happened, then their blood would be on his hands. And so it's in accordance with what God directs you to do. If God directs you to bring a message to people, it doesn't matter whether they're going to accept it or not. Just like with Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, I got a message for you. You're going to take it to the people. Oh, and by the way, they're not going to listen to you. But it doesn't matter because Jeremiah, just like Ezekiel, was a watchman for God. And when God said, bring this message, okay, the word of the Lord said, and then bring the message and they don't adhere to it. When they perished because of their disobedience, then uh, Jeremiah was not guilty of their sin and their rebellion against God. And so it's really important to be able to have a conversation with God that you know their voice, that you know it's them telling you what to do and what not to do and directing you. Go to this person. No, this this over here passing your pearls before the swine, so stay away from that. And you just really have to be in tune with God to be able to do that. Going to bring up my musicality background here with what you just said to be in tune with God. And to be in tune is to have cognitive resonance, not dissonance. Dissonance means you're out of tune. And for those who have been in band, that you stand before that tuner and you turn it on and the little needles moving back and forth, you're hitting that tuning note to you want to get it right on the center. And that's the thing is in Messiah, you're able to get on that center and make sure you don't go to the left or right, that you stay right in the center. And that's the, that's how with an orchestra that if you don't play in tune, then it's not going to sound the best that it can, that having everybody on the same page. And that's what circumcision of the heart, that the people are in tune with God, that before that you're, you're getting close. There's a little bit of distortion but you can, you know, kind of like the middle school, like you're walking in repentance and it's like there's, it's sounding better, but there's still it's distorted. And then you get to high school and you're getting less and less in college. And then now you have that Chicago Symphony Orchestra, New York Philharmonic that, man, it's just, it just sounds so, you know, those professional groups because you're, everybody's in what's called intonation, which is the ability to continually find that center in, in playing as one, as one unit. So that because we bring washing and mind control psychology of the mind is all about making sure that the reason that you'll reject things, even though they're true is because the cognitive dissonance takes over because that doesn't, isn't in tune with your thinking. And then it throws off that's wrong because that doesn't feel good because it's not in tune with what I want to hear. 
and that's the thing you chain your tuning to the tuning of god then you can something will hit you that wow okay all right well i'll, I'll change that because i want to do that okay well now we're in resonance together we can make that beautiful music and you know the with this covenant agreement that Yah knew that the people in the first covenant he knew that they couldn't keep it that they would sin i mean because why would it be that my son is going to come to save the people from their sins because i know there's even a scripture in the old testament where it says well Yah knows that you're not that you weren't spiritual that you were you know in the flesh and but what's the test who are the ones that are going to be obedient to me who is going to do their best to follow my law the best they can all right those are the people that are going to go into the promised land and why would there be sacrifices if there weren't going to be issues then there would be no need for a sacrifice because well you're perfect so it doesn't matter so Yah knew that the people were going to break the covenant and so i'm prepared for that but i desire mercy i want to have mercy on you so i'm going to bring my son so that i can show mercy to you because the blood of bulls and goats i did not you did not desire but a body you prepared for me yeah the 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 body of messiah is that that spiritual tabernacle that i want the people to be in him that even though the law said that the blood of bulls and goats because so you can see a picture but that wasn't the true desire because that can't take away sins it can't cleanse the conscience of the worshiper from the great book of hebrews that a lot of people just put to the side that they don't need that it, it makes it clear that you couldn't come into the most holy place because your conscience wasn't clear well in messiah you have the chance to do that so that you can be in the eternal um, tabernacle and we even have a mention of this in revelation when messiah is talking to one of the churches and he says you know be careful because i will remove your lampstand from its place well wait a minute there's a lampstand in the tabernacle that so that i'm walking amongst the lampstands i'm walking amongst the churches make sure that you're not removed from and that would should be ooh. well what do we need to do to repent because i don't want to be removed from the where it is so just and just uh, that came to mind about that just shows you he's walking around in the tabernacle where the lampstand is is make sure your lampstand stays in its place because there's a purpose for this you're you're the light you're you're the you're that lampstand you're in me you're that light of you're part of the church of me it's like make sure you stay in your place so that just even gives us a bigger picture of that you know it says he walks amongst the lampstands Again, remember, we've talked before about the circular perspective and that you continually go through. And so if your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you are continually with things in your life walking through that the, the temple grounds, meaning that you're, you're, you have a situation that comes up, you take it into the courtyard, then you take it into the you take it to the uh, basin for washing. You you wash, then you sacrifice, and then after you sacrifice, you take that into the holy place, and then ultimately into the most holy place, and then you continue that process because that's part of changing what your subconscious is, where the sin nature used to be, is that as things come up and come to your attention. You have to walk through 
the whole process again. It's not just that you're you're in the most holy place and you stay there uh, perpetually. No, you're you are the temple, which entails the courtyard, the basin for washing, the altar, the uh, holy place, and the most holy place. And then you also have the implements within the holy place uh, with the showbread and the uh, uh, the lampstand. And then you have the ark, which is in the most holy place. And so each time you have something new brought to your attention out of your lower conscience, you just go back to travel that aspect through the tabernacle or through the temple, which then takes each time and each thing and makes it improve and get better as time goes on. Because remember, everything that we talk about, it's like you had said, Sean, that we had done the tavern, you had done the tabernacle lesson, gosh, how many years ago in the gathering, and we're still in the tabernacle, of course. Every single lesson that we've been over, you know, we had the wedding lesson that, that came out. We're still in that. You know, we talked about, you know, one time we're going we're gonna to be in First uh, and Second Peter tonight, and we never left First and Second oh, yeah. Peter. And, you know, it's just everything that we've gone over is intended for us to recognize that there's a circular growing perspective. And that's how you can read a scripture and get something today and then read a scripture, that exact same scripture in the circular and get something else tomorrow. And that's the objective of hidden treasure is that you seek for it, you discover that treasure, but you have to seek for it to find it in order to do that. So it's just really, uh, that was just another aspect that mother brought to mind to say, don't you see that because you walk in the circular and you are the temple, it doesn't say you're the most holy place of the temple when you have faith. No, you're the temple, which means that you have to continually, you're continually working on things. And Paul spoke about this and it, I thought of it when Anna Ruth was talking, but I beat my body into submission, Paul said. And that's the process is he's taking all the stuff in the lower conscience as it comes up. He's walking it through the tabernacle. He's going to walk it through. He's going to cleanse it. No, don't agree with that. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen again because I'm going to put it to death. And then you go, then you have been cleansed. You've offered the sacrifice. Now you can take it into the holy place and the most holy place where the uh, final purification takes place. I don't know if you had something. I did, but you can go. Oh, oh. <laughs> I was... <laughs> we'll let her go because people hear us a lot. And we'll yeah, we can get back to me. Sure. Um, I was just, I like that you said... Um, uh, about Paul and that, you know, whatever you're dealing with, that you are the one walking it <clears throat> through the temple after you have circumcision of the heart. And I pictured like, um, 
I worked in animal care for a while and you brought in a dog that you didn't know if it was going to bite you or not, if it was being aggressive, you would walk it, you know, to the kennel on a snare pole, which happens. It has a, um, length of cable on one end, and then it has a six foot metal pole so that the dog cannot approach you to hurt you. And so it's a way to keep yourself and the dog relatively safe, but, um, enough have to walk well you might walk whatever your issue is in on a snare pole but it's not running around your temple wreaking havoc which would be pre-circumcision of the heart um but you're walking it through to offer that sacrifice i just thought that was a cool visual so well actually what i had to say went right along with that is i had a scripture come to mind just more depth to it that and it was paul and it says that but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. You will live and made me think of that's the process of the temple. And you think about this, that do you all picture when you say walking in the temple that like what I thought of until I just had this thought was, is that the temple is already furnished. Like if you just see a map of the tabernacle in your mind, like you can see the different things in place. But think about this, that with the things that we've learned that Yah has put the tabernacle in place. So we have an understanding of the sacrifice, the altar, an understanding of repentance, an understanding of the enlightenment and eating of the the word of God and the prayer and the ark, because then the ark, because we have to have the ark in place to understand the truth of God. Like we have the, the gospel message, repentance, obedience, and trust and having that, okay, that's in the tabernacle. So that's locked in like that's there. And we know about conversational relationship and that's locked in and that's there. And we have the word of God is what we feed on and that's locked in. We have the enlightenment and that's locked in. We have repentance, which is the base and it's locked in like meaning that you walk in it, but it's because we've locked that in our mind and heart, all that understanding that we dwell within all of that to where something comes up. No, I don't agree with that. I'm not doing that. So it's already locked in with putting that to death in the altar, cleansing with repentance, obedience, trust, like it's all, you're just walking around and all of that. And I just, what did I say yesterday evening? We're to be a kingdom of priests. And you're just think of you're wearing the priestly garment, walking around, you're doing the orders of the priest and the high priest, you're in him. So he's made it to where now you can, okay, now you go do the duty. You're the priest, walk around and do the things, do the, you know, this comes up. No, I'm not doing that. All right, you put it on the altar and you, you turn from it, you wash and it just, I just thought I could just see myself walking around and all of that. You walk around with the truth of God is, you know, mother is there because it made me think of like mother in you is like the temple is there set up. She's dwelling because you have all of that with you to where you're walking around and you're walking around and you're, 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 you pick up some bread off the table and wow, I never thought of evolution like that. Wow. And then evolution is this. And you're just sitting there eating of the, the show bread and you start digesting it and thinking about it. And then, you know, you, something comes to mind and the, the lampstand is right there. And it just made me think of what a beautiful physical representation to think about, you know, Messiah walking around and all that, that, that in the kingdom, you don't forget all of this stuff. No, when you get, there, it'll just be, you'll just, it'll be enhanced because now you have the fullness of it to where, so this is the exact replica of what is in the, wow, this is, there's the basin there's the lampstand, you know, and you would just see it and like, wow, that's what it is an exact representation of this, you know, and we're able to see that. Again, another, another nugget, another aspect 
threefold aspect to the cleansing of things so that you can enter the holy place with it and the most holy place. Okay? So when it comes up out of the lower conscience, you have to take it through that three-step process so that it is no, it is not sin. And the process is, it goes along with what was spoken about the tabernacle is that you, in the courtyard, the first thing that is approached is the basin for washing. So you have the basin for washing, which is the, uh, for cleansing, which is the repentance to Abba. Then you have the sacrifice, which is the obedience, and obedience comes from suffering, and that's why it's a sacrifice. You know, Messiah learned obedience through what he suffered. So you have that, and then remember, before the high priest, they were they were washed in the basin, and the sacrifice was offered, and then they were clothed in white, pure white, you know, without any blemish, and then they were able to enter in to minister in the holy place, and then the high priest in the most holy place. And for us, in circumcision of the heart, being in Messiah, who is the high priest of God most high, then that's what gives us access into the most holy place. And so you have that threefold thing that every time something comes up out of your lower conscience, you've got to repent, which means it's a continual turn away from it. No, I don't agree with that. I'm not doing it. And then you have to walk in the obedience of it, with which brings sacrifice, which sacrifice brings the obedience, because it's going to be a struggle for you to work through to get rid of that thing. But you're sacrificing every time it comes up that no, I don't agree with this, and I'm going to walk in obedience to God, and this is this is it's just the way. Then when you've done that, then you then you get to put on the the clothing on that item, and so because it's not sin for you, you are clothed in white, no blemish. You enter into the holy place and the most holy place, and you have conversation with Yah. Uh, any aspect of Yah, you can speak with them. And so it's just a, another beautiful perspective that you it has to be pure. And that's why if it's not pure, you know you don't have the white garments on because you have a guilty conscience. If you have a guilty conscience, then your garments are filthy and you can't enter into the holy place or the most holy place. But when you have a clear conscience because you've walked through the repentance and the obedience, the sacrifice of it, now there's no need for uh, guilt because it's not sin and that's a key factor for people to recognize that when you feel guilty for what you've done you know it's sin for you and so find that place where there is no sin and that place doesn't come by just I don't sin, I don't sin, I don't sin, I don't sin. no, it comes by you walking the faith journey, the circumcision of the heart where the sinful nature is removed. I was just going to say really quick, it comes by knowing, not by convincing. 
Well, the thing that hit my mind was the concept of transparency. That's something that um, constantly moving away from that in this faith journey from a Christian aspect, because a Christian aspect, you're taught to hide everything you do wrong, to put on a front, to convince and try and deceive even someone that you have and you don't. And in this faith, true faith, it's an aspect of transparency, being completely transparent, because only then can you truly embrace who you are before Yah and move through those processes. And this just hit me as Phil was talking about the concept of moving through the tabernacle aspect. The water, anything that comes up and is brought to your attention, the water represents the word of Yah, the truth of Yah. You take whatever is brought to you and you wash it through the word. What does Yah say about this? Where's the truth in this? Not how it affects me, not what is true according to Yah. Okay, well, now that this has come out, I now have a decision to make. Do I follow what Yah says or do I follow what I want? Well, nope, sacrifice self. I'm following what Yah says. So we take care of that. All right, well, now that I've learned the truth, now that I've decided to sacrifice that, the continual process for the rest of my life is refining that in the fire. Every time that issue comes up, I follow that same process over and over again until it becomes less and less. And by doing that, I'm being transparent. And that also proves my clear conscience before Yah, which now allows me to enter the temple. Well, and we were just looking at Hebrews that, that, and even said, as mother said, that the way into the most holy, the holiest of all hadn't made known while this tabernacle was still standing because it couldn't, even though they did a ceremony to do the washings and things, they couldn't cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. Is way, And that's the thing is you couldn't, you you would have to Messiah had to be the one that had the clear conscience first to go in to make the way to sprinkle all the heavenly things with the blood of himself so that it would be cleansed so that now that we can now enter when we do the same thing. And, th- and that's putting on making sure that you have the garments of white, because even in Revelation says that you will be with me and wear white. Well, that means no sin. So it, it's not a, an aspect of, well, yeah, I sin, but you know, Jesus forgives me. No, because it says that um, if you persevere to the end, you were wear white with me. Well, like like mother brought out that wearing white shows that no sin is the purity. So you're not going to walk with him. You think you are. And that's the thing. Get to the place where you know that for sure to where you're not left out. Just like the wedding banquet that, how did you get in here? You don't have the right clothes. Well, bind the person and take them outside because they're not going to come in the wedding banquet because you don't have the right garments. Make sure you have the garment of white, and that's the bride of Messiah is the bride of Messiah having without spot and without wrinkle, which is that purity, that white, that um, being without sin, be presented to him. <clears throat> but this, I mean, just sitting here, because I had I had asked before we even came over that Mother would give us revelation on these things. So, I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, there, and that's the thing, like, we're just we're just getting in the ocean. We're not like swimming down, you know, like way, way. I mean, we're, there's just so much more information here. And that's the thing that the stuff that we're given, and this isn't in any way meant to build us up because we're nothing. All we are are servants of Yah that we don't have a Bible open here. Look in any of this stuff. It's just because the word of God is within. It's coming to mind that we're being led and given. It's just like here, chew on this for a while. Or what about this? What about that? And look at this, look at that. And, and, and that's the thing that, you know, that 
seeking with all your heart is a continual thing. You, you continue in it. And when you ask for things and believe that you'll get them, you will get them, you know, and I mean, look at all the information. I mean, we could, you know, continue and just talk about this, but it's important for people to know that, that in true faith in Yah, it's not about just making a one-time decision. It's about a contractual commitment that you're willing to give everything that you're willing to go into an agreement with Yah and hold your end of it. And, you know, say that, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. And, and it's more to it than just saying a decision and then just walking on. I mean, it, it, it's a lifelong commitment. A full commitment is the key to all this. And it's hugely important to keep in mind that when you decide you're going to build the temple with the Holy Spirit, that you must do it according to the plans given. You know, we could we could talk a whole lot more about the tabernacle because you, you, I mean, we didn't touch on the actual building of it with the, uh, how it was, you know, how it was built to have the courtyard, you know, what the outer uh, parts were made of. And then you have the, the hooks or the anchors mm-hmm. that, that the ropes were tied to, to, to hold it in place. And you had the specific fabrics that was, that were, went around it. And then you had the specific design for the entrance going into it. And all of that has uh, intricate meaning in your faith journey. And the objective is to seek God with all of your heart so that God will show you how to build that temple because you have to start with building it. And that's part of your proving ground to God to be able to get in to the basin for washing to repent to God is that you have to start building that tabernacle in the desert. And if you look it up and you can look into the different details that Moses was given on the tabernacle and look at it to correlate it to a step or a place or a a part of your faith journey, because you have to build that outer wall so that that keeps that what is on the outside out and not on the inside. And when you build it according to God's plan, that means that what the scripture says faith is, you must live it. If the, not if the Bible says those who claim to be in him must walk as he did, you must walk as he did. If it was that important for Moses building the tabernacle in the desert to make sure that he followed it to the uh, to the uh, very smallest detail. How much more the temple that we build within ourselves for God that we need to have that you've got to if you're in Him there is no sin, and if you claim to be in Him but you know you sin then you are not, you do not have the temple of God because it wasn't built according to the plan laid out. And the scripture, you know, when we talked about covenant, the Bible is not the end-all word of God. The Bible is just the ketubah, the the, um, contract where God lays out, this is what, what, if you want to sign this contract, this is what you must do, and this is what we must do. 
when you do your part, we will do our part. And it, it's a fact that when you do it, but you have to make sure that you are following it. And anybody who does it different than what the Bible says or teaches it different than what the Bible says is not of God. And, and it's, it's very huge for people to be evaluating what temple are you building? Or, or, you know, because there's many people, that, you know, like just recently at the Grammy Awards, they had the, the quote-unquote Satan worship thing that, you know, with the, the way the guy was dressed and just a, it was a, just a big uh, hoopla deal and people making a big deal of it. And Christians even about why you know this stuff's got to go, and this, and the reality is is that most people, if you're not following the Bible to the way it's written, then you're in Satan worship. It doesn't have to be all out there displayed like you picture Satan worship. Satan worship is just as simple as. Oh, I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Everything's fine. Praise God. And there's nothing I have to do. It just—it's not by works. No, yeah, you're—you're you're not saved by works, but there's work that you have to do. So it's just really important when we talk about the temple and the building of the temple that you build it according to the design that God laid out in the Bible. That the the apostles, that Messiah, even Himself laid out that he who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice well you're building the temple of God but if you hear these words of Messiah and don't put them into practice then you're not building the temple of God it's a, it's a fact but unfortunately too many people are locked in with cognitive dissonance from the brainwashing and mind control that they're not going to be able to see it recognize it, understand it, because they're not going to be open-minded enough to really take a deep evaluation and say, let me go back and evaluate my faith, not in accordance with what I've been taught, but in accordance with what the Bible says, in accordance with what Messiah said, in, a, in accordance with what Peter, James, John, all the writers that are in the Bible. Does the church that I go to, that I'm affiliated with, does it look like the churches that are written in the Bible? It must, which means it must be unified. You know, because Paul, Paul spoke about the bond of unity that was such a great uh, aspect of church. And when you see the aspect of Christianity, there's no unity. I mean, you, you have so many divisions and then we've talked about this before, the divisions within each denomination. And then you take a denomination and go to an individual church and all the divisions that are in that church. And what do we believe and what we don't believe and how we believe it. And that's not the, that's not the church of God. So my thing bringing out now is that when you decide you're going to build the temple of God, and you're going to make that commitment, weigh the cost, and make sure that you build it in accordance with the plans that God will give you when you are seeking with all of your heart.
Well, had this come to mind in regards to the tabernacle, just something revealed that when you're walking on the inside of the tabernacle, like you have the white curtain that's around that the people on the outside, God will judge, leave them alone. You know, just ignore the people that like, you're not like just in a cage to where nobody can get near. It's like, you're just out there, but no, something like you hear noise, you know, behind the curtain and you hear people living their life and stuff, but get to a point to where not letting that bother me. Cause I got plenty of work to do in here. And if somebody comes to you at the curtain and yes, can I, I have a question for you. Okay. Like you don't make it a point to go outside the tabernacle. Like, like with the Messiah, people came to him. That doesn't mean that y'all won't say, Hey, go out here and talk to this person. Okay. You go over to the curtain and all right, now I'm getting back to work on, I'm not pointing the finger at others. Cause I got a lot going on in here inside this curtain for me to be uh, working on. And uh, something else as well as y'all revealed to me was with the, with Messiah in the temple, when he turned the tables, that's given us a spiritual picture of us within that make sure that we get angry at what's going on in our programming to where we turn the tables because this is a house of prayer. So make sure that things that aren't appropriate are taken out to where just for within to evaluate yourself, to make sure that, you know, instead of pointing the finger to turn everybody else's tables, you turn the tables within yourself with indignation, longing and alarm. So, I mean, that's the thing. It's just, there's so much, it's living and active. Um, it, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's just, it, it cuts all the way down to joints and marrow. I mean, it just, it goes so deep and it's so sharp. So um, this is a good stopping point for the evening. We had good conversation and I'll just open it to you guys if, um, and, and with Anna Ruth as well, if you want to add something before we go off the air, anything you want to uh, leave everybody with, I would just say that just um, for those that are, seeking with all your heart that are really, you know, the term quote unquote, religiously following this, that go to the word of God and really look into this and the Bible. Don't believe this just because we're saying these things and it sounds really good. And it is true, but we've been given this truth by revelation, but you can find it and know it yourself, not just because, well, it sounds good. And I agree with that, but to where, like Andrew said, that you can know the faith that you have and, and, getting to do that. So encourage those that are listening to really seek it with all your heart because Yah will give you the things and even different things than what we're getting. Just going to tie it back to my little philosophy fascination right now. Um, and I, I don't know who said this. You may actually have said this in church the other day. You were Phil, I can't remember. But I think there's a philosopher, some, a wise person who said, the greatest knowledge is to know thyself. Um, and that's where like you've, chances are, if you've listened to the podcast enough, something has come up that has hit your ears funny. When I say funny is that you downright don't like it. And I would, my challenge to you would be to dive into that and to answer all the questions that that uncomfortable, whatever it is, um, figure out why it made you uncomfortable. Just keep answering all the questions. It'll move you. It'll probably hurt you, but might be a good surgery pain as opposed to a pain that's meant to cause destruction. And I'll close this out with this. There's a, a statement that I've even brought out from somebody that was a, somebody that would be like an encourager of like people in business and sales was, and his words were become what you think about. And the truth of it is, is you become those thoughts, which you put into action. Because if you just think about something, you don't become that unless you actually make a decision 
to actually do it. So you become what thoughts that you've actually put into action is what you actually become and are becoming more and more. But um, we have a website, um, excuse me, an email, not a website. We have an email, which is hidden treasures with an S revealed at AOL.com. So if you'd like to send a comment or any questions, you know, we're open to putting questions as a topic for a podcast in the future. And we also have a Facebook page, Hidden Treasures Revealed, that we'll put things on occasionally and we'll put on there when we have our latest podcast episodes and things. But um, brothers and sisters, it's been wonderful being with you this evening. Enjoyed the conversation, the Socratic conversation, and look forward to doing it again soon. And uh, we also have a uh, podcast on Saturday mornings at 6 o'clock a.m. Eastern. So we'll be around for that and see what Yah has for us. But um, until then... Everybody have a good evening and good talking with everybody. Thank you for joining us today on Hidden Treasures Revealed. We want to leave you with this thought. The greatest treasure in life, and especially in faith, is discovery. If we try to convince you of things, you may gain head knowledge, but if we let you discover things, you will have heart knowledge to know and understand and be able to give a good answer for the faith that you have. Treasure hunters seek treasure nonstop. Seek the treasure of God through conversation with them and through their word. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Seek the hidden treasure of God and you will be blessed by it.